Hi there, it's Mark Bittman, and welcome to Food. As always, feel free to email us at food at markbittman.com. We will respond, send us questions, answers, rants, raves, shouts, murmurs, whatever you like. We love to hear from you. And please do subscribe to and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We depend on that. And consider also subscribing to our newsletter, The Bitman Project, at bitmanproject.com. It's an awesome newsletter. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Today, Kate and I are joined by my friend, Dr. David Katz, who uh, I met probably 12 years ago, maybe 15, I was starting to write about nutrition and its relationship to other things, food being a more global issue and so on. And David was among the earliest public health professionals to come to sort of the same conclusion that food and climate and nutrition and health in general and well-being in general were all tied together. But he does have a special interest in public health and personal nutrition and um is among the most open and intelligent people on that subject of anyone I know. We wrote a book together. It's called How to Eat. It had the um, not unusual misfortune of coming out just about the day COVID started. So um, it's still around. It's really good. Our idea was came from a, a piece we did together for New York Magazine, but our idea was simplify nutrition advice as much as we could, and that's something he and I have both done assiduously as much as as much as we can. So we, uh, David, Kate, and I are going to talk today about nutrition, about health in general, about how food, how what you eat affects how you feel and how you live. We're also going to touch on a bunch of other interesting issues, um, including Ozempic, because it's so newsy right now. And um, 
We know you'd like to hear what David says about that, but we will talk generally and we'll have fun. So enjoy this episode of Food with Mark Bittman with me, Kate Bittman, and David Katz. Just before we get started, let's acknowledge that you and I go a ways back and we've done some articles together. We did a book together. We tried to simplify what people need to know about diet. Our book, which was called How to Eat, appeared like the day after COVID. Um, <laughs> so was not a great time for selling non-pandemic books, even though we would argue that bad diet is a pandemic, but okay, maybe later for that. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to say that we were working together because I was really impressed over the years, not only with your medical knowledge, but with your knowledge of science in general and your ability to see things through different lenses and see how things were tied together and even change your mind when evidence justified that, which not everybody's able to do. So, well, well back at you for all of that. <laughs> I, no, I, you know, I, it, it's interesting because obviously, you know, we wrote how to eat to feel like a conversation, but what people probably don't realize it actually was a conversation, right? We were sequestered for a few days, batting stuff back and forth. And I think it was very educational in both directions. But even more so, some of the work you've done since. I, I learned so much reading Animal Vegetable Junk. Great book. Great well, book. So, you. so, yeah, you know, your knowledge of the food system is, I, I would say, unrivaled. Maybe, maybe you've got a couple of rivals, right? Oh, it's totally rivaled. <laughs> believe me. <laughs> it's but surpassed, it's impressive. but yeah. <laughs> but it's impressive. So, so, you know, essentially, you and I, I think, are are sort of WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. It really is a conversation. We really are both curious. We really can both change our minds. I think each of us has probably caused the other to do that at times. So anyway, very reciprocal. Anyway, we were, you know, for all you think that I know, Kate and I are both confused about obesity and and it's controversial and it's thorny and so we just wanted to talk about overweight and or obesity, if either of those words should still exist. I'm not even sure that's the case and what they mean, what the implications are, how people get to weigh more than what's considered normal, whether that's a condition, a disease, a predictor of disease, a normal state of affairs for some, like what? We obviously want to get past fat shaming, but we also want you know, to help people understand whether there are real consequences of those 10 or 50 extra pounds and consequences that go beyond our vanity, what gets us there, how seriously we should take it. So we, we could start lots of different places, but, but first I think it's important to address this topic from the heart. And in over 30 years of patient care, all the different ways I dealt with the prevalence of obesity, that's where I began parents, grandparents would sometimes ask, how do I bring this topic up? I'm concerned about my child. I'm concerned about my grandchild. I'm concerned about my life partner. You know, their weight, I think, is detrimental to their health. How do I start? And my answer is always the same, with love. If you're bringing this up because of some personal agenda or shame or stigma, squeeze your lips together and don't say anything. It's not your place. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it's just not appropriate. But if you have a genuine concern about someone's health, whatever the reason for that is, and if you love that person, you're sort of obligated to bring it up. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. If it could be a biomarker, it could be something you can see or something you can't see. It just so happens. And it really is what makes obesity unique. We can see it. There are lots of other things that are wrong with most of us under the hood, and they don't carry the same stigma, right? Your blood pressure could be, you know, sort of a ticking bomb. And if somebody who loves you knows that and you're neglecting it, I think they're duty bound to say, I'm really concerned about your blood pressure. You're not taking care of yourself. I love you. I want you to stick around. It's simply the fact that obesity is visible. Yeah, I just got to say everything about this conversation, wherever things seem like they could get awkward, the reorientation is back to the heart. Say, you know, the, the reason to care is because you actually care. And, and then you are authorized to address it. So I've empowered parents and grandparents to raise this topic and say, I'm concerned that your weight is a threat to your health and I care about your health because I love you. I want you to have a bounty of years in life and life in years. I want you to stick around. <laughs> I want you to have the best journey you possibly can. So first that. Second, 
yes, it absolutely matters. And, and there are many different ways to make that case. But one that I used routinely over the years, Mark, was that when I went to medical school, not quite 100 years ago, they taught us about two kinds of diabetes routinely. There's also diabetes insipidus, but that's a topic for another day. But th- th- in terms of diabetes mellitus, the kind we're always talking about, there was juvenile onset and adult onset. And folks listening to this may realize, well, that, I, I don't hear them saying that. I hear them talking about type 1 and type 2. And you're right. And the reason we talk about type 2 now is because what used to be adult onset diabetes happens all the time in kids. And that transition occurred on, for want of a better descriptor, my watch. I was trained that there was a condition that occurred when essentially sedentary middle-aged adults gained enough weight and developed insulin resistance and then went on to type 2 diabetes. It's because of hyperendemic or epidemic obesity in adults and kids alike that we watch that chronic metabolic disease migrate from the adult population to start affecting kids at an ever younger age. So among the many reasons I can't be entirely okay with okay at any size is because it's causing chronic disease, not just in adults, but in their kids too. And that's a bona fide public health crisis. And there are many other things we could talk about, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is now the leading cause of liver transplant, all related to obesity, on and on it goes. But I think you know, if you start this conversation with love and caring and compassion, you quickly recognize that, okay, our marching orders are right in front of us. We have to be able to fight obesity and the adverse consequences of obesity without fighting the people who are victims of this epidemic. Where is it coming from? Why is it epidemic? How do we avoid blaming the victim? How do we fight the stigma while also fighting the condition? Because we should be able to do both. And then in terms of the definition, it's really just sort of population norms. And the same is true really for the definition of hypertension, right? So everybody probably knows you want your blood pressure below 120 over 80, anything 140 over 90 or above is overt hypertension. Where does that come from? Well, you know, essentially you look at population distribution of those values and see when do people start having trouble? When does the risk of heart attack start to go up? When does the risk of stroke start to go up? Same thing with weight. So the BMI, the body mass index, which is essentially weight adjusted for height, is it perfect? No, but overweight is defined as a body mass index of 25 or above because at that point you start to see adverse health effects of excess body fat, not excess muscle, but we don't have an epidemic of excess muscle. And above 30, you have obesity and there are three stages of that. And that's because the risk The curve, essentially, that associates body mass index with risk of bad things happening, such as diabetes, heart disease, and so forth, the curve gets a lot steeper at 30. So there's a valid reason for those cut points. BMI compares basically your height to your weight? Weight in kilograms over height in meters squared, right? So it's essentially your density, given how tall you are, how much mass. When it comes to being medically overweight and being obese. So is this something, it sounds like there are specific markers for both. Is it something that can be self-diagnosed? Just about everybody concedes you could recognize this condition at a glance. And we we actually looked into this in, in my lab at Yale some years ago. How reliable is the eyeball test? You know, just Look at someone, and is, is there excess body fat? So let me let me digress for just a second, Kate, because it is true that you can have a high BMI from muscle. Bodybuilders do, professional athletes do. It's just not the population level problem we're dealing with. But it does ruffle feathers in the sense that you know many people make a a, a point about BMI not being a useful measure at the level of the individual because there are various reasons. And we don't really care about how much body mass there is. We care about what the source of that body mass is. So the concern that we're really wrestling with here is excess adipose tissue. That's where the metabolic mayhem comes from. That means fatty tissue. Fatty tissue. And and the simple fact is, to state it very bluntly, we can all tell the difference at a glance between somebody who's very muscular and somebody who's fat. Everybody can. And so there are actually studies that have compared elaborate tests of body composition 
using CT scans or MRI scans and the eyeball test is, does this person have excess body fat? So everybody can tell. That's the concern. And what we can get into all of the metabolic consequences of excess body fat and why they sometimes don't occur because the distribution of that fat also matters. So body mass index is a very imperfect measure, but at the population level, it works well. So do you need a health professional to know whether or not you're overweight? Probably not. Do you need a health professional to know your BMI? No, you just need internet access. Do you need a health professional to determine whether or not your weight is causing you metabolic harm? Yes, you do. Because that's really what matters. I mean, you know, that's the thing is that's that's, what matters, right? That's what matters. Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing my BMI. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Let's hear it. Looks like 27. Sounds about right. I I haven't seen Uh, you in a little while, but sounds about right. Here, hang on. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) As Mark displays prodigious stomach. It's like every one of my markers, blood pressure, cholesterol, (laughs) weight, whatever else there is. Just over the line. Just over over the line. Just over desirable. When you know how to cook everything, you got to eat a whole lot of good stuff. It just comes with the territory. If only it were everything I cooked. But anyway, okay. Let's try to stay on track here. Well, this is a good segue to this question. Is it worth trying to lose weight if you're overweight? Or is it a better idea to try and stay fit and eat well? Or more broadly put, what's the right strategy for people who are overweight? Okay, so so there are probably several answers. I'm tempted to say both. And, and so, first of all, people are going to try to lose weight because, again, it's it's on display. So a lot of the motivation there is, and this, I, I, this is not a criticism when I use this term, vanity. Vanity in a healthy sense. Vanity meaning we all care what we see when we look in the mirror. Most people do. That's a big part of the motivation. And then if there are adverse health effects, for some, that's the primary motivator. For some, it's definitely the secondary motivator. So people will try to lose weight. What I would argue is that there are bad ways to lose weight that are not at all about finding health. My preference would be to always prioritize finding health as the way to lose weight. You can lose weight because of some really restrictive diet that will not do your health any long-term favors, may even do it short-term harm recent study looking at cardiovascular effects of the ketogenic diet, which remains very popular, even though there are lots of arguments against it. And as far as I can tell, no arguments for it over time, no evidence that it's a way to both lose weight and find health. I would not mortgage future health against short-term weight loss. I think that's a mistake. And for years, I've been pointing out to people there's Wait, stuff what that's... does that mean? That means you don't need <laughs> a bad diet in order to lose weight? Yes, because, you know, frankly, if you're overweight in a way that is causing you metabolic harm, so impairing glucose and insulin metabolism, causing inflammation, impairing your blood lipids, so your increased risk of heart disease, all of that, weight loss will help. But if you lose weight by doing something that actually imposes those same harms, it's kind of a lateral move, right? So you're reducing your risk by reducing your body fat and increasing your risk by eating a really bad diet. You're not combining the benefits of losing weight and finding health. So a longer term strategy would be, I want to lose weight by doing things that are actually good for me, that will enhance my vitality. My preference, Kate, is that people always pursue health as the primary motivator. I'm just being a pragmatist here and recognizing that over the years, many of my patients really just wanted to lose weight. But ideally, this enlightened audience will accept that the pursuit of health and vitality is the right objective. And if you do the right things to get there from here, it will enhance your weight management. If you need to lose weight, you will lose weight. If you need to gain weight and you improve your diet and activity, you'll probably gain weight. It'll help you land in the sweet spot. But this is really important. You don't get to choose what to weigh. Two people, and and this is an issue that came up innumerable times over my clinical career, two people can eat the same and exercise the same, and one keeps gaining weight and getting fatter than they want to be, and one stays thin, 
and it's not fair. And all I could ever do with my patients was say, you're absolutely right. It's not fair. <laughs> there are a lot of things about life that are not fair. This is one of them. And, and the reasons for that are, you know, we have different metabolic settings. We obviously have a different genomic profile. We have different resting energy expenditure. We even differ in things like how much heat we generate after a meal. Believe it or not, uh, you know, uh, it may not be terribly socially attractive, but people who sweat a lot after eating probably find it easier to maintain their weight than people who don't because it's called postprandial thermogenesis, the generation of heat after eating. And people who do a lot of that are wasting a lot of so-called wasting a lot of the calories they consume. Now in a world, the world that Homo sapiens lived in for most of our history, where it was hard to get enough to eat and where we all had to be physically active every day because of survival, then people who had high postprandial thermogenesis were at a distinct disadvantage. Now, when everybody's struggling to stay lean, they actually have something to advantage. But my point is, these components of energy expenditure are not volitional. We, we don't get to choose. So you can choose to have an optimal diet. You can choose to be physically active. And those things will help you have the best possible weight living in the modern world, but they may not help you have the exact weight you'd really love to have. Maybe you'll be five pounds heavier. Maybe you'll be 10 pounds heavier. My advice to my patients over the years has always been, look, if you're eating well and you're being active and you are pursuing health best way you can, after that, I would say, learn to love the skin you're in. At that point, I'm no longer concerned about your weight. And if there are still any consequences of your weight, then I think that's where medicine should step in and help you out. But you're doing all the right things as opposed to, I want to hit a specific target weight by any means I can. And, you know, I'll, I'll take supplements and I'll do silly restrictive fad diets. And I've always pushed back against that. I don't think it's a good idea. Okay. So two things. The first is the whole like you kind of are the weight that you are with exceptions, obviously, is so true for me. I'm a healthy eater. I like junk food, but I don't have too much of it. No matter what, I five pounds. There's a range. Back or forth. Right. Yeah. It's just my yeah. body wants to be a certain weight, and that's the weight it is. It's so it's always been that way. And I'm sure, you know, once I turn 50, that'll the rate, change. The range will shift but, a little bit. Yep. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's an important point, Kate. Now it is important for people to realize that, you know, essentially the struggle we're in as we try to manage our weight over a lifetime is I want to be lean. I want to look the way I want to look. I want to feel the way I want to feel. I want to be able to do the things that I want to do. But I also would like to avoid being hungry all the time. I don't want to, I want to sure. eat to satisfaction. So one of the critical topics in this conversation is satiety. And it definitely can influence the range. So if you could feel completely full and completely satisfied on X calories, or if you ate a different way, if it took two X calories to feel the mm. same level of satisfaction, that would obviously make a huge difference to that range that your weight kept coming back to, right? So one of the things we're all trying to do is go from two X calories, which is where everybody is who eats lots of ultra processed or so-called junk food to X calories. So what can you do to dial down the calories it takes to feel full? And the answer is eat as Michael Pollan put it in those pithy seven words, real food, not too much, mostly plants. The not too much tends to take care of itself. When you eat close to nature, the calories required to fill you up dwindle. They dwindle for two reasons. First, there's no manipulation of the food designed to put your appetite center into overdrive. And that's absolutely true of ultra processed foods. Overeating with ultra processed foods is, is not something we're just discovering now because of the work of Carlos Montero, who gave us the NOVA classification, or Kevin Hall at the NIH who's studying this. Overeating with ultra processed food is by design. It's exactly what the food industry was trying to achieve. So you avoid that when you eat foods direct from nature. And you tend to get a lot more volume. Fruits, vegetables, they have a lot of water volume. And water in a food fills up your stomach with volume, but obviously there are no calories in it. And they have a lot of fiber volume. And fiber does even more because it has nearly no calories. It feeds your microbiome. It fills up your stomach. And soluble fiber, one of the two varieties, actually slows the entry of nutrients from the gastrointestinal tract into the bloodstream. 
So if sugar enters the bloodstream more slowly, you need less insulin to metabolize it and on and on it goes. So lots of advantages. So yes, I agree with you. We, we all tend to have a range where our appetite and our relationship with food keeps taking us back, even if we're eating well and we're active and we're taking care of ourselves. And that's the question for most people is, do you have that range and are you happy in it? If you can learn to fill up on fewer calories, you may be able to shift that range a little bit, essentially move it south a bit, but not a lot. But once you have your diet as good as you can make it and your activity level as good as you're going to make it, at that point, it really is time, as I say, to learn to love the skin you're in. And you know, at that point, am I okay with your weight? Yeah. And, and I think you need to be too. And, and if you still have a lipid problem or a, a glucose problem, that's, that is what modern medicine is for. It should step in when you can't take care of the job with lifestyle, but most people can. We'll be right back with me, David Katz, and Kate Bittman. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bitman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. 
When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include Dynamic Sky Panorama Glass Roof, Front Row Massaging Seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. A word from our friends at Made In. We are home and cooking a lot and grilling a lot. Still loving and using our made-in cookware, but really have started to take advantage of the made-in griddle top. And using that carbon steel thing, not only inside on the stove, but outside on the grill. It is just amazing for anything. It's um, steel, so it's lighter than cast iron, but it is thick and and heavy-duty. It'll take 1,200 degrees of heat, which is more than any of us are going to generate under normal circumstances. So it's just like for griddling a piece of fish. I mean, it's a plancha, so fish, but also fried eggs, breakfast stuff like pancakes. It's great with meat. I did some tofu on it. It was fantastic. It's a super large surface area, so like a restaurant cooking stove. And um, as I said, good for anything, but works on induction, works on gas, works on electric, works on open flames. Made in cookware, as you know, we have been talking about them for some time, is used by some of the world's top chefs and some of the world's top non-chefs like me. company was born from a 100-year-old family business specializing in a high-end restaurant supply, and uh, they have great copperware, stainless uh, nonstick, really beautiful stuff. And some of these specialty items like the wok and the griddle are among my favorites. So we have a special offer for listeners to Food with Mark Bittman, and that is 10% off of full-priced items. For full details, visit madeincookware.com slash, and our code is FMB, as in Food with Mark Bittman. That's madeincookware.com slash FMB for 10% off any full-priced items of Made in Cookware. Thank you very much. So what do you think about this Ozempic stuff? Because it seems crazy not to mention it, and it's just been all over the news lately. There's this article in The Cut about, well, so I guess I should say that Ozempic is a drug that's been a real game changer for diabetics in that it lessens blood sugar levels, but many people are using it primarily as a weight loss drug, people who do not have diabetes. And the story on the cut was primarily about thin people who are wanting to get thinner Mm. and are using this drug. And now no one, including diabetics, can get the drug because it's (laughs) so in demand. If you haven't read this article, David, you should, because it's really something. Yeah, And I just don't know what to make of it. So first, uh, there's uh, so many different things to say. All right, let me start with this. Should we think of obesity as a disease that should always be treated with a drug, right? Because it's standard to think about treating diabetes with either insulin or an oral drug. And it's fairly routine to treat hypertension and all these chronic conditions, right? So should obesity be in that category? The American Medical Association says yes. And actually, the American Academy of Pediatrics recently said, yes, and we favor more aggressive use of both bariatric surgery and pharmacotherapy drug treatment for kids with obesity. But David Katz (laughs) says no. Uh, And I I had the opportunity to say no on the, the rarefied pages of Nature, a premier scientific journal, some years back when I was editor in chief of the journal Childhood Obesity. And the reason I said no is because it's actually normal for a perfectly healthy human body provided a surplus of calories to put those calories into storage. It's throughout all of human history that was adaptive. So a disease should be when your body is behaving in a dysfunctional way, right? Your, Your glucose levels are outside the range 
where they stay if your body's working normally? Well, that's a derangement. That's pathology. Your blood pressure is outside of the range where healthy blood vessels and heart and, and hormones would tend to keep it. Again, that's pathology. But taking a surplus of calories and turning it into storage against the advent of a rainy day when you have to go hungry, totally normal. So what we're really saying here is that something about modern living is making this adaptive trait maladaptive. Here's why I object to calling that a disease, and, and then we'll get talk about semaglutide or Ozempic or Wagovi. The tendency, whenever we label something a disease, is to say, okay, we know how to deal with diseases. We do surgery and we treat with drugs. And so everybody's going to need those. And frankly, I think big medicine is very happy with that approach. But these drugs are expensive. Inevitably, there are potential side effects. The more people you expose to drugs, the more you discover side effects you knew nothing about. This has happened, by the way, with previous weight loss drugs. One of the ones that was most promising before now is a drug called Ramanabant, marketed as Accomplia. Lots of fanfare, lots of investment. Everybody was tremendously excited. And all the clinical trials suggested that Ramanabant was a blockbuster drug in the making until a large population was exposed. And then oops-a-daisy, it turns out that this drug, which mucks around with brain chemistry in a way that helps people lose weight, is mucking around with brain chemistry. And there's a significant increase in the rate of depression and suicide. And not only did the drug not become a blockbuster, it was pulled from the market altogether. Precautionary tale, right? I mean, the, the law of unintended consequences always relevant with pharmacotherapy. So what we're really wrestling with as we think about is obesity a disease and, and should we use pharmacotherapy is can we respect obesity, the impact it has on people's lives, the need to address it, both because the individuals themselves want to lose weight and because it may be medically important to do that. Is there some way to show it the respect it deserves without labeling it a disease? And I argued in that nature commentary, and I've argued for years to anyone who would listen. So thank you guys for listening. Yeah, there's a beautiful analogy here. It's drowning. Drowning is not a disease. We don't think a normal human body should have gills. We don't think you know a healthy human should be able to stay underwater for an hour and be fine. We accept the fact that we're not fish. So we can't breathe underwater absent you know special equipment that's, that's appended to our bodies. So it's not a disease, but we respect it. If somebody drowns, they get the full response of the modern medical system. Everything that can be done to resuscitate them is done. But there's a critical implication of it not being a disease. We don't look at the human body as the source of the problem. We look at the mismatch as the source of the problem. In other words, we have to be really careful about not letting humans wind up underwater for too long. So what do we do? We put fences around pools. We put lifeguards at beaches. We put up signs that say, don't swim today. There's a riptide. We teach kids to swim. And all parents are extremely vigilant with young children near the water. Well, I think that's the kind of condition that obesity is. We have people basically swimming up to their eyeballs every day in hyper palatable, ultra processed food designed, engineered to be addictive per Michael Moss, among others. And uh, comparable amounts of labor-saving technology that displace everything muscles used to do. That's the pathology. The pathology is in the environment, not in the body. When you're drowning, there's an initial symptom, which is that you're coughing and there's water in your lungs and you can't breathe and you panic. The problem with overweightness, obesity, whatever the right term is, is that there's no clear, at least not to the naked eye, despite what you said at the beginning of this conversation, there's no like immediate symptom like, help, I'm drowning. It's time for me to, it's an emergency. There's no, like, it's a good point. Yeah. I, so with people who have certain eating disorders, there actually is a panic. So binge eating disorder or bulimia, there actually is panic and, and arguably anorexia as well. So there, there are acute symptoms of this dysfunctional relationship with food just as somebody who's starting to panic in the water is reacting to the threat. But for most people, you're exactly right. So, but that's a timeline issue. And, and maybe that's why we can't manage 
to catalog obesity as a form of drowning, although I think we should. So there's drowning A in water, drowning B in ultra-processed junk food and labor-saving technology. But it's it's just, there's there's no like, you know, what what you can't, I don't think what you can say, what you can give me is when is overweightness not safe? If someone's comfortable with the way they are and they don't feel sick, they think we're kind of okay, you know, agree that that's, an okay thing, but they might not know that they're sick or they might be getting sick or. Well, but like remember, that. remember the question we're wrestling with and that, you know, that is what is the role of Ozempic and, and these new drugs. So I was going to circle back to that, but we use drugs to treat pathology. And so the question is, is obesity pathology? Everybody who wants to be a little thinner than they are, is that pathology? And again, I would argue if we blame the human body for having pathology, yeah, then everybody should be on drugs. We should put the stuff in the drinking water. If we don't drain the human body and say, no, these these bodies are adapted to a world where food comes direct from nature, uh, where physical activity is part of every day. And when those things are in balance, weight tends to be in balance. This, the problem lies not in our metabolism, but all around us. Let's direct the bulk of our remedy to what's all around us. So Okay, I, I agree with you, Mark. The timeline issue and the feeling of panic from drowning doesn't translate well for obesity. But what could translate is, and, and just think about this, it's a thought experiment. What are the anti-obesity measures that are analogous to swimming lessons, parental vigilance, lifeguards at the beach, honest signage when when there's a riptide? You know, the the, the food equivalent those are of those, great questions. That's the food a great equivalent analogy. of those, yeah, the food equivalent of those signs. You know, it, it would be like there's a riptide and there's sharks in the water and you put a sign at the beach that says, come on in, the water's fine. I mean, that's what we do with food, right? We turn it into addictive junk, but tell people to eat it anyway and market it aggressively to them. So that's how I feel. The David Kessler food carnival line. Life is yeah. a food carnival. We've made, li- <laughs> we've made it into a food carnival. Yes. So, so, Kate, back to your question about these drugs. So far, these look to be extraordinarily good drugs. In a category where we've had a lot of false starts, Ramanabant being probably the single most promising and ultimately the most disappointing, but there have been use of anti-epileptic drugs and stimulants, amphetamine derivatives in this space, lots of different things, but lots of side effects. This class of drugs called incretins, originally recognized, by the way, in the saliva of Gila monsters, believe it or not, and, and, and everything that's been synthesized has been a derivative of that. But originally found to have a glucose stabilizing effect and an insulin stabilizing effect. So yes, widely used in type 2 diabetes. And oh, by the way, unlike treating with insulin and unlike treating with some of the prior oral agents used to treat type 2 diabetes, all of which cause weight gain, just a simple observation that using these incretin drugs in people with type 2 diabetes was improving their diabetes and resulting in weight loss. And then that took on a whole life of its own. And now there have been clinical trials in people without diabetes demonstrating significant weight loss. Now, will that weight loss last a lifetime? Will that weight loss occur without significant side effects? We're already starting to hear about side effects being more of an issue than it seemed like they would be at the start. Gastrointestinal intolerance in some people. Change actually in your facial features. People are noticing that their face looks older when they take these drugs. And so, you know, especially people- they're skinnier. It, it may be that, but it seems to be independent of that. So th- there's mm-hmm. there may be preferential loss of subcutaneous fat from the face, and that does change your appearance, but it looks like there may be more going on than that. Not entirely clear at this point. But in any event, so far in the history of drugs for weight control, this class looks to be the best we've ever had by a wide margin. And given, you know, again, even if I want to make the case, whether I can convince Mark or not, that obesity is a form of drowning, the simple fact is a lot of people are on the far side. They already have obesity. They've already drowned in a bad diet, lack of physical activity. So these drugs are the equivalent of resuscitation. Everybody who's already there deserves this level of support. I just don't want to see us turn to pharmacotherapy and completely neglect the opportunity to get this right in the environment. There's a cartoon, those of us, so I'm, I'm a board certified specialist in preventive medicine. And over the years, I've used this slide. I've been at presentations where others have used this slide. Everybody uses this slide. It's the preventive medicine slide. It, it's a slide of two people 
flooding room with mops and they're busily mopping the floor. But you can see that the flood is coming from a plugged sink and a faucet that's turned on all the way. And it's just running like crazy and spilling over onto the floor. They're mopping the floor, but nobody turns off the faucet. That's what treating obesity with pharmacotherapy and neglecting the fact that we don't need to have this epidemic. If food were food, and if we made physical activity a routine part of everybody's day as a normal part of our culture, obesity would be quite rare. And then those people who succumb to it anyway and need medical help, fine. But the idea that everybody should be on a drug, I think it's just a very dangerous idea, partly because the law of unintended consequences kicks in, but also because losing weight should be about finding health. And however good these drugs are, they don't make you healthy. They fix things that are broken. Whereas eating well makes you healthy. It, it doesn't just fix what's broken. It optimizes every aspect of the elaborate choreography that is your metabolism every day. It's a huge mistake to neglect the healthiness of the environment we live in, our lifestyle practices, and say, hey, I'll just take this drug, which looks to be a blockbuster. A drug will never be about every aspect of your health the way lifestyle is. That's so great. I almost feel like we need a part two, because even though we know what a good diet is, People always seem to like to hear that conversation. We don't have time for it now. The other thing is the chemistry. I mean, I know from having this discussion with you before that the chemistry behind this stuff is not that hard to understand, at least on a level, a layperson's level. So we may have to do some more, but we can't do more now. So Kate is going to ask you our million-dollar wind-up question that we ask everybody. I am, and I'm scared to hear the answer. No, no, but... because he's like perfect. So, <laughs> right, it's going to be really, it's going to be irritating for all. But David, <laughs> what did you have for dinner last night? <laughs> uh, last night I had a whole grain. My, my wife's a great cook, uh, and um, I, I guess both of you know our, our recipes are readily available to the world at uh, quizinicity.com. So we had one of her dishes: uh, whole grain pasta with beans and spinach, uh, big salad, and I think we had some whole grain bread along with that. Uh, fairly typical. Yep. Fairly yep. typical. Yeah. <laughs> When you so, say whole grain pasta, which grain is it? Which did you have whole wheat or whole wheat? Yeah, yeah. We're not we're, both of us tolerate gluten just fine, so whole wheat. We actually have a really, really good piece about whole grain pasta on the Bitman Project that Carrie just did, and it's she figured out a way to cook whole grain pasta in a way where it's never gonna be the same as white pasta, but she figured out a way to get it to sort of closely mimic it. If I may, so, so that was the final question, but quickly, I much prefer, much prefer whole grain pasta. And and so a quick tip to people is, is taste buds are very adaptable. Uh, I, I preferred it because it was better for me, however many years ago, but having habituated to it, it's much more flavorful. It's got a more robust texture. I, I actually don't like right, plain pasta anymore. Uh, and, and I think people should respect the potential to incrementally improve their diet and learn to love food that loves you back because taste buds are quite adaptable. I, I call it taste bud rehab, but I prefer whole grain pasta. I respect it and I like it a lot, but I get made fun of by Mark when I <laughs> eat whole grain pasta. All right, so he's going to tell no, us why don't. we're wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm, I do. I do. You're like, why are you eating that? I don't uh, think that's true. I have whole grain pasta in the pantry and I eat it. Whenever my conscience nags me enough so that I have to eat it, yeah. How often is that? One out of five times I eat pasta, maybe. It's not bad. On the other (laughs) hand, I eat only whole grain bread. Only whole grain bread. Well, and I've eaten the whole grain bread you make. It's fantastic. But another quick thing about pasta, because of the extrusion process, the glycemic load and the glycemic index of pasta is considerably lower, both for for the plain variety, the processed um, refined flour, and for the whole grain variety, considerably lower glycemic effects than a comparable amount of bread. So, Mark, you probably you and your conscience can probably reconcile on this topic. I think it's we okay. need to do a part B with David, maybe a call-in or something like that. I know, because now I have another question. I'm not going to ask it, but I want to at some point. Well, we're we're, we're friends. You know where to find me. And I'll be very happy to I'm come back. I'm just curious. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. thanks for this. I have to run. So I'm, I mean, 
Anyway, we don't like for these to run so long, so we'll just have to do it again. <laughs> we'll do it. Let's do it again in a few months for sure. Very good. Okay. Thank you, David. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, David. Let's see you thank soon. Thank you, Marky. Thank you, guys. Thanks to my collaborator and friend, David Katz, for joining me and Kate on today's show. You can follow him on Instagram at Dr. David L. Katz, D-R-D-A-V-I-D-L-K-A-T-Z. And on Facebook and Twitter at Dr. David Katz, that's D-R David Katz. The book that he wrote together, the one that came out the same day as COVID, pretty much, is called How to Eat, and you can find it wherever you like to buy books. Thanks for joining us today, and we will see you next week when we will have somebody awesome. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory. But boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.